right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up podcast. Solly here. I we did not schedule a recap. Uh, we would be spending a, a lot of time, I would imagine, talking about the end of the Formula One season. I have actually not even watched it yet. I've only caught highlights, heard the rumors about what happened. Uh, we will have to break that down in a future episode because we have pre-recorded this week's episode uh, as there was no real actual golf played this week. QBE shootout does not count. Sorry. Uh, this episode is about, we, we struggled with coming up with a, t- a title for this one. It's about what we're calling breakaway tours. Basically, we spent some time dividing it. It's in three sections, studying the 1968 breakaway and formation of what eventually would become the PGA Tour. The potential coup in 1983, led by Jack Nicklaus and Arnold Palmer. Not a lot of people know about that one. That was a fascinating one to dive into. And of course, 1994 World Tour started by Greg Norman. Uh, we go deep into all of those, share some stories, highlights, uh, you know, collection of information. We had some great sources for the information, chat about it, and learned a lot in the in that time uh, researching. And I have a feeling you're going to learn a lot as well. If uh, if you've not been paying attention to golf this year, we're going to learn you up a little bit more about the uh, the breakthroughs that Callaway has had this year. First of all, just going to read off just a, just a hit list, if you will. Major wins for John Rahm, Phil Mickelson. Uh, still amazing to think about. He won a major. Annika Sorenstam, all with the Epic and Chrome Soft X golf ball. Jim Furyk won at the U.S. Senior Open. Xander Shoffley won the gold medal at the Olympics using the Epic and the Chromesoft XLS golf ball. Odyssey is the number one putter on every major tour. Rom is number one in the world, including gave a big shout to the Callaway folks after his U.S. Open win. They're off to a great start in the, re- the reach-around season here as Gooch, Taylor Gooch, is current number one in the FedEx Cup, and Sam Burns is number two. Phil Mickelson, Kevin Na, Sam Burns, Siwoo Kim, K.H. Lee, Taylor Gooch, Kevin Kisner, Mark Leishman, Brennan Grace, John Rahm, Eric Van Royen, Xander Shoffley, all won in 2022. They've been the number one driver and putter on the LPGA Tour all season. Don't be surprised if there is some Callaway Tour news to open up the new year. Man, that was hard to squeeze in in one minute. So uh, a lot of great stuff happening this year. And from the news that we have heard about what's coming out here in 2022, we are quite excited about it. So without any further delay, let's get to our topic-based pod. You know, kind of interested in learning about some of these things. You know, with a lot, all the things that are going on in the world of golf, um, the history of the PGA Tour, how there's been some breakouts, some threats of breakouts, all that stuff. We're going to get into all of that, uh, or three, I guess, pillars of the breakout uh, genre, if you will. TC is here to my left. Hello, TC. Greetings. Neil is here. Hello, Neil. Happy to be here. It's truly history seems to repeat itself doing some research for this pod. It, it feels like you're reading the... the uh, Current news of the day in golf. Common themes. I think we're going to see a lot of common themes. DJ Pie is here. Hello, DJ. Hey, greetings. Hello. We have divided this up. DJ is just going to be the uh, the, the funny guy. He's going to be the cool guy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, I got a question. <laughs> He's going to be the student, if you will. Exactly. About that. I'm going to put to the test how much research you guys actually did on this. Stuff. I love that. TC is going to take us through, uh, I don't know, what, what we call this, breakaway tours? Is that, you know... I don't know what the title of this episode is. I think it's precedence. I think it's the evolution of professional golf. I like that. TC is going to take us to the breakout of 1968, um, where the PGA Tour was essentially formed. It wasn't called that. We're going to get into all that history. That's the first section. I'm going to take us to the attempted coup 
uh, from the top players in 1983 of Dean Beeman. You probably the, didn't even know there was an attempted coup, people. The czar of golf. And then a resident shark expert, <laughs> Neil, is going to take us through. The jumping, 19, jumping the shark in 94. The, the 1994 World Tours. Uh, so resident that's the, shark expert, <laughs> Neil Schuster. That's the three sections of this thing. Uh, any questions before we get started? Anything we need to establish before we get started? Well, the more that we can make it sound like world history, the better. I, I love the, the breakout of '68. Uh, you know, attempted coup, attempted coups, all that. Uh, that you know, heavy, heavy on the um, the drama. Please, I think it's so. Is is 1968 a civil war then, or is it a separatist group that emerged in in '68? Maybe the Boston Tea Party. Okay, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, let's start us there, TC. Where, do, where does your story start? Uh, well, my, you know what? My story starts really back with old Tom Morris. And <laughs> really Mary Queen of Scots, technically, yeah, if you want to go all the way back. Everybody back in, in the old world. But no, I think there's prior to 1968 uh, and even beyond 1968, all of the, the professional golfers, there was really no distinction between a club professional and a traveling professional. Like The traveling professional was, was a, almost a new sort of uh, endeavor or, you know, profession. And, um, you know, in the past you'd had very well-regarded club pros going out and plying their craft and the money got bigger and this kind of became a self-contained ecosystem versus just being, hey, like, I'm going to play in these four events this year because they're in my section. And some of the top guys even, like, taught at at, were club pros at – certain clubs in the winters or in off months or whatnot. Club that was Harmon's a great example of that. I think Ben Hogan was even a club pro, wasn't he? It wasn't, didn't he give playing lessons? Cause the money just was not, yeah. even for the best, best, best players in the world, the money was not life changing at all. So sounds like we need to grow the game. Mm. So it sounds like we mm. need to do. That's what these better players were trying to grow the game. <laughs> that's, that's essentially what it came down to. Look, I know that I know America's got a history with racism, but you know, <laughs> They're so, trying, right? So you got the PGA of America. That was a Greg Norman quote. Just if yes. people didn't listen to the pod on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> so, you, so you got the PGA of America founded in 1916, representing all professional golfers, whether you're a teaching pro or people you know, who take it seriously. Yeah, or folding shirts yeah. or whatever, right? Sure. And uh, very like in this time period, you had two kind of establishment figures. You had this uh, Leo Fraser, who was the uh, Professional Golfers Association, like the secretary of the organization, uh, who he and Nicholas, I guess, were just bitter, bitter rivals. Also might be a theme. Yeah. <laughs> Nicholas has some has some takes here during, the, during this era and the next one. And then one of the other guys was this guy, uh, Elbin, uh, Max Elbin. He was the head pro at Burning Tree in D.C. Very, you know, welcoming forward sure. place a big girl the game place exactly they're trying yeah. to grow the game there too and uh <laughs> and then this guy sam gates who was the lawyer for the players it would have been like if the if if the pgl or the sgl stuff originated with the players he was essentially that he was their their representative of so, sorts so, so like, the players are looking around saying like we got this this skill we are different than these thousands and thousands of club pros and we're sharing all the gates Revenue from this is all going to one organization, and we're yes. generating all the revenue. Correct. And Gates, uh, you know, think of Gates as like D. Maurice Smith, except for like he knows what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> um, no editor- editorializing <laughs> history here. You know, Cheap shot. Keep in mind too that a lot of the pros, like up north and everything, are going. They're going south for the winter, or they're just packing up. Like they're not working for 
five, six, seven, you know, f- like four, five, six months a year as well. So sorry if you don't know the answer to this, but was there any kind of like watershed moments? I'm, I'm just trying to think if there's any like any events, any like big, what, what is, what's really like the powder keg that's kind of tipping this off. You know what I'm saying? Well, it seemed like the players, it's, it's getting worse and worse, like through the late fifties into the early sixties, the money's getting bigger. There's more eyeballs. Television's becoming a thing, right? There's you know, a lot more advertising opportunities. and, and the, A lot of that seems like it has to go back to like the masters, right? Honestly, the game is actually growing. Yeah. <laughs> that, it right. does come back. Well, I that, think a like, massive part of it's like people can watch Arnold Palmer on TV correct. now, right? And, and is, is Palmer doing his, you know, personal sponsorships at this point or yes. does that come? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's deep, okay. deep into that. And, and, and keep in mind too, Palmer has a great relationship with, with the PGA of America because his father's a PGA pro and, and all that. So he, he doesn't want to modern day JT. Exactly. Yeah. Or yeah. pastime JT. Yeah. yeah JT, like JT would be the modern yeah. day. JT would be the modern yeah, yeah. day. Okay. Got it. Got it. And so then there's a there's there's some sort of you know evolution here of hey like how is there instead of being just a bunch of barnstormers that are showing up at a bunch of individual events that are separate from one another how do we tie this thing together right? and grow the game and, and grow the game grow the money right which is funny I, I'm going to keep making that joke continually over the next however long this takes but this kind of truly does seem like the best example of actually doing that you know what i mean like like separating the tip top pros and building an infrastructure of how they can truly get in front of the most eyeballs possible like contributes in a massive way to hashtag growing the game however their of course main interest is for them to generate the money and the growing the game being a wonderful byproduct of that, that helps them a lot from a PR perspective. But I do think, and we're obviously going to keep referring to the breakaway times of today, but I think that's a lot of the thought behind like something like the PGL as well. Right. Is that like, why, why are we bothering trying to make 200 superstars here? Why don't we just take the top guys, make it easier for more people to get involved, make it easier for casual fans to become golf fans. And I, I think there's a lot of that built in here too. So in 64, they added a lot of like the, the base, basically Q school and cards and all that stuff. So you've got that and then you've got another. Because before that, sorry, I didn't mean yeah. to keep cutting you off. Before that, it was all like Monday qualifiers, basically, right? The whole right? thing was Monday qualifiers. Which is insane. So even <laughs> Nobody like, talks about that. You know, That's Arnold nuts. Palmer or something like yes. that, you're still Monday qualifying. So, they, so in 64, they, they switched that. And then the card holders, like they weren't exempt, but they could enter the Monday qualifiers for like a hundred bucks instead of like the non qualifier or the non card holders had to pay two hundred dollars. Which is back then that's a lot of money. Enormous. Right? Yeah, exactly. And like, like five hundred. The number bucks of slots available that? to non card holders was capped. And I'm going off of a lot of this is from uh, is it Jim Garant or Gorant? Uh, is this is from a, a golf.com or golf magazine article from 2018, and so I think the the real watershed moment here was 1966. Frank Sinatra wants to sponsor an event in Palm Springs. $200,000 event. Big, mo- big money. The modern-day Justin Timberlake. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Maybe the modern-day MBS. <laughs> <laughs> right? Old blue eyes. So, so the... So the, the PGA tur- like Tournament Bureau, which is like the, the tournament committee... Made up of four players and three PGA executives. And uh, four to three vote, the committee decided to add the Sinatra event to the schedule. So then the tournament committee is subject to the to a vote of the entire PGA executive committee, which is a bunch of club pros, right? And they're like, no, we don't think that this can survive because there's another, there's the Bob Hope Desert Classic already exists in this mm. area. 
can't, can't two. do both. Sure. So they voted it down. Two and guys that seemed like they really had no juice at this time, Bob Hope and Frank Sinatra. Yeah, I'm sure, you wouldn't want them I'm involved. I'm sure Sinatra was very understanding. <laughs> As they MBS get along? would be. Uh, uh, did they get along? Did they not get along? Who, Bob Hope yeah. and Sinatra? I don't know any backstory there. I don't know. I just okay. know that Sinatra was like a known bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a bad, like bad attitude. Like there's a really good profile I read in a college writing course. Like Frank Sinatra has a cold. Yeah. Oh, it's like, to lease, right? the, like the best magazine piece ever written. Ever written. And it's just like how big of a, like he's so high maintenance and yeah. just like at, at the tip top of his power, like you just couldn't say no to the guy. So I'm sure that yeah, went over really MBS. well. Exactly. <laughs> That's a great comp. Also Tr- just, treated women great. <laughs> just important to note for if you're for keeping track of this, there's part no of the Sinatra estate. This is all a legend. <laughs> there is no PGA tour in existence. So every time Correct. you say PGA, we are it's talking what is now PGA of America. But any anything PGA related for this time period is that that's what you're referring to. Yeah. So uh, by kind of three to one, the executive committee of the PGA of America overrules the tournament committee. The players are pissed, right? The players are, you know, it's 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 a, they're not happy. Uh, they said we run all the risks. One tour competitor told SI at the time. So why should we have a bunch of armchair club pros mm. telling us we can't play a two hundred thousand dollar tournament? They also took issue with a new $250,000 tournament in Westchester, New York, that PGA executives had negotiated in secret and from which $50,000 of the purse was supposed to go into a general pension fund for all PGA members. Wow. Whoa. So one thing I think to keep in mind, I don't, you know, haven't peeked in your guys' notebooks yet, but I think a common word that, if, you know, based on my understanding of all these breakaways, a common word that's going to keep popping up is transparency. So like hearing you say that, like, oh yeah, they organized another event in secret. I know, you know, knowing what I know about the 1983 stuff, a lot of this is just like the players either not understanding what's going on or not looking into what's going on or just shady shit going on behind the scenes. But I, I feel like that's a, a major theme throughout that, a lot of this That stuff. was one of the things Bob Golby in this, in this same article said. He was like, like, a lot of the guys had no idea what was going on, but then as soon as they figured out, like as soon as they inquired or tried to educate themselves... Then they were all on board. Right. Like, oh, yeah. Like, this is obvious. Like, we have basically we have three part-time club pros essentially running this whole thing and approaching it as a club pro would. And they, you know, a lot of insults flying back and forth. <laughs> all the club pros thought that these guys were prima donnas and all the all these guys thought that the club pros were a bunch of sweater folders. Probably some truth on both sides. Yeah. 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 Both sides have good people. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, just for for clarity's sake, nineteen sixty six two hundred fifty thousand dollars is now in today's dollars two point one million dollar tournament, and we're talking pre Tiger. Yeah, like what's that's, what's the purse at the bone saw? <laughs> Very similar. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe five true. million, maybe. You know, but how do you, how do you, you got to back out all the sure, all the expenses sure, sure. and everything too? No laying up is of course brought to you by our friends at Precision Pro Golf. Precision Pro is proud to announce the next big thing in golf technology: the long-awaited Ace Smart Speaker. It's a groundbreaking portable. Bluetooth speaker that reads distances to you over top, whatever sweet tunes you're listening to on the golf course. We used it uh, while we're filming Taurus Sauce in Michigan. Of course, they are the presenting sponsor of our travel series, Taurus Sauce, on our YouTube channel. It's not just a speaker. The A stands for Audio Caddy Experience. It's it's a a tool that will help you know your distance and swing with confidence. Every golfer has dreamed of having their own personal caddy. The ace is exactly that. The personal caddy speaks to you with GPS distances to the front, middle, and back of the green or to your customizable layup zones if you are laying up. 
The Ace Smart Speaker is available for only $149.99 or by making four easy payments of $37.50 using Afterpay. So you can add sound to your round by going to PrecisionProGolf.com or Amazon.com. It's the perfect gift for yourself or the golfer you know. You'll never second-guess your distance, and you'll never second-guess adding the audio caddy experience to your golf bag. Swing with confidence, hit more greens with Precision Pro Golf. Bad feelings came to a head in, uh, in June. Uh, the players produced a seven-point manifesto de- demanding... I love manifestos. <laughs> yeah. Manifestos, you have my attention. <laughs> demanding they've control kind of gone out of over fashion lately. scheduling finances, hiring auto-related personnel, uh, and they insisted on taking away the PGA of America's veto power. Uh, in all, 135 players signed it and added an ultimatum. If the PGA didn't agree to all their points by June 15th, the players would boycott the 1967 PGA Championship scheduled for July 20th at Columbine Country Club in Denver. I just Googled it. The name of the, of the uh, manifesto, it's called My Struggle. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I think I think Ted Kaczynski kind of put the manifestos on the back burner. Yeah, they they got subtraction with a lot, with the, the, with wrong the wrong crowd, with the wrong kind of guy. <laughs> and we're dealing with all the same shit here, right? Like we're dealing with, hey, if 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 you don't accede to our stuff, we're breaking away. If you go play in any events and do anything that's not sanctioned by the PGA of America, we're banning you, and you can't. You know, you can't get back in. Can you, mm. can you underscore a little mm. bit? What's it? Yeah, that's very interesting. Uh, I heard that before. Can you can you underscore what what are the pros and cons of them kind of staying together? What are the pros and cons of of them splitting apart? I mean, what's the like what are, what do the club pros get out of this if they? You know what I'm trying to say? Like, what what's the point the of club pros staying get a, together? Get a piece of the pie, but I don't even think they realize like how or I don't think they realize how to bake the pie. Right. Right. Like they're just they're just trying to get a piece of the pie after it's cooked. But it seems like they're they're after better, you know, just like more coherent representation and leadership and planning here, like actually bringing professionals in to do this, as well as you know more autonomy as as far as you know purses and being able to keep a bigger share of the income. But it's important to note that a lot of the income was coming from club sales and pro shop sales at the time, so it wasn't just like tournament Correct. sponsorships. So the the touring professionals are probably. That's where they need. They need. They still need st- that. Yeah. They still need that money from the club pro side of the house, which well, is and, important and, to understand. And all the stuff, all the merchandise, and all the all the, you know, golf equipment is is coming through, pro shops right. as well. Yeah. There's no yeah. PGA Tour Superstore yeah. going on. Exactly. Yeah. So it's all tied in together. You've got all these names. Like Doug Ford was kind of the unofficial grievance chairman, uh, according to. Uh, <laughs> Grant, yeah. is that a title you hold within us? Are you the, <laughs> I think I'm pretty low key within the organization. Yeah, outside, outside. the organization. Yeah, yeah. Yes, I, Rep, yeah. Red, you're that representative. I'm our external grievance. Yes. <laughs> Doug Ford. Is he, any relation to Joe Ford, the Masters? Uh, proud partners. I think Doug IBM. Ford won a Masters in 1957. Really? Masters. Yeah. Then we've got Billy Casper. We've got there, and, and like it's coming to a head here uh, during the Open at Baltus Roll. Um, nope. may or may not have been fake. I was going to say, it could have been a total <laughs> soundstage situation. Tech wasn't quite there yet. They couldn't fake it back then. They that's faked what, the moon landing, what, yeah, same, same, era. That was, same no, era. But that was a couple years later. That's true. You're right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. And, you know, Guy the guy they needed to bring in Kubrick. Bob Golby's involved. All Sorry, they're involved in what? What's going on? Just here? like, you know, basically, like, they're like the ones, the... the grieving. Yeah, yeah, gr- Grieving. <laughs> You know, establishing grievances, okay. basically uh, setting up the the potential boycott, being like Team Rose or you know the people that are really behind the scenes good. churning towards the good for uh, Billy Casper because he was winning everything. Yeah, probably just getting underpaid. Exactly. So 
Al Guyberger hires this guy, Philip Freeman. Uh, he was like a management consultant for him. He analyzes the situation and says, hey, this is what you should do. You should. He comes out with a 23-page report that says you should split off the tournament division and the PGA of America into two separate things. PGA would continue to operate with its current structure. Tour would be overseen by a board of directors or a board of players and outside experts, and then they would hire a commissioner to run the day-to-day operations and long-term business. And you know the players would hire a lawyer to to represent them in the negotiations. In the lead up to this, too, Nicholas and this guy uh, Leo Fraser, the secretary, are going at it. I mean, Nicholas is there's this big essay that he sends to Sports Illustrated, and he's you know he's, he's like, Barbara, you believe this? <laughs> <laughs> I've brought a bad attitude to the negotiation. So there's, we'll link that in this. Um, but really, it's all about this veto power of what, you know, the pros want to be able to plan and uh, stage tournaments when and where they want to and do things that they feel that are in their best interests and not have to farm out the decision or the final, you know, confirmation of it to these guys in D.C. or up east. So, yeah, so essentially... They succeed, you know, and, and that's kind of the modern. This is in 1968. This is in 68. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so we're really, going. Yeah. We're yeah. taking our stuff and we're going. Yeah. We're really, really 69 is kind of the first year that it, it you know, like fe- like January, February of 69. So when that management consult guy you just mentioned, he's the one that kind of helps them basically break away, break well, the, the PGA yeah. club pro stuff off of the tournament direction is that that's this that's the schism we're talking about basically when i talked to nick about it he said hey like they had set up this american professional golfers inc it was like a it was 200 or so pros that signed on to this and said hey we're we got 40 nations we're ready to roll (laughs) at the end of 68 into 69 yeah Yeah. Yeah. going heading into 69 that was like their nuclear option saying hey like we are we are leaving you know so you've got like nicholas and doug ford billy casper golby jerry barber Dave Eichelberger, Dave Marr, all these guys that were kind of like the advisory committee for this APG. And uh, they said, all right, we'll, you know, we'll play out the remainder of the season in 68, plus two tournaments already under contract for 69. And then after that, we, we're going to we take our game elsewhere. <laughs> fun, fun little thing here. I just Googled the 1969 PGA Tour season. How many events do you think there were in the 1969 season? Uh, 20? 75. 49. Really? Yeah. <laughs> we say the golf's gotten too saturated. Is it just because it was like a complete Wild West? Like they're just having events all over the place? Or, uh, so I was to say, like, what constitutes an event? Well, I that's mean, what I was going to say. That's that's the, the there big is, follow-up from this is, like, what happens to the, the calendar? Like, does the PGA fight back on any of this? Do they, you know, try to hold players in place? What's their, you know what I mean? What's their mechanism to try to... to keep the status quo, right? Because they, they lose a big chunk of the aforementioned pie if all these guys leave. This may include PGA of America events as well because there's the Los Angeles Open and the Alameda County Open in the first but, same week are both listed on this. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah. Was there just like a split of a bunch of like hodgepodge of events and people have to decide which ones they're going to play? Or how does, yeah, how does this I, work? I think it's like a lot of existing events are basically like, well, we can go with these guys, but they're already like, it's like who's going to sanction us, Yeah, right? Who's going to... Like, who, whose schedule are we going to roll up underneath? So during this, Palmer's essentially going back and forth to D.C. and trying to negotiate a peace because he's like, hey, I, you know, I'm in the middle of this. I want, I want everybody to get along. I, you know, I'm also on the side of my fellow players. Like, we need to be compensated more, and we need to 
we need more control over our affairs here. But also I'm selling a bunch of apparel and clubs and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And and then, you know, uh, on the other side, everybody's trying to accuse Nicholas of fanning the flames and, you know, trying to like make things more negative and throw gasoline on the fire to, to really just have a clean break from it. So I think that's kind of, you know, like it seems like, Nicholas and Palmer are taking two very, very different tacks to, you know, try to get to kind of the same end result. This breakout of whatever you want to call it, breakaway, seems like the one that makes the most sense of all of them, right? I mean, it's the most successful of any of the ones that we're going to talk about, of course. It seems like they're fixing the biggest issue here, right? Like, Well, it's the biggest schism of... It's the top golfers breaking away from like all golfers, right? Right. Instead of just the top golfers breaking away from two hundred other golfers, you know. Well, that's so. what I'm just. Uh, I, yeah. Th- this is. There's no way this is gonna come across without demeaning listening PGA professionals. That's not my intent whatsoever. But just the idea of like NBA players and like high school basketball coaches all being in like the same yeah. organization yeah. and like having their interests represented by the same people is fucking asinine. Yeah. Like it's ridiculous. Yeah, so I'm I'm with you. That's the biggest that's, like that's the okay, we thing. need to fix this issue. It's like professional golf almost came about by accident, right? right. It came about in spite of itself, right? Yeah. It was like nobody expected this to happen, and then all of a sudden it's just bolted onto the side of the PGA of America and it's like, oh shit, like Wait a by second, the way, man. like why like why is this like this? So then Which we're still kind of like unraveling yeah. from, right? With yeah. like that's why the majors are all different organizations. That's why nothing's like really consolidated. So this Leo Fraser guy, the entire he's accusing Jack of undermining Arnold and all that. And so Jack writes this big email to Sports Illustrated and says like, hey, like you you know Well not not email, essay. Or essay. Sorry. The modern day email. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he sent it via telegram or something. Yeah. And said, you know, like basically you're full of shit, man. Like here you know lays it out and it is like I'm sure a lawyer wrote it, but it's scathing. Like we'll we'll link it with all this. And then the other thing too is like the the TV money, like they they kind of signed, they signed up ABC uh, to do ten tour events in uh, the the nineteen sixty eight season or starting in sixty nine. And Rune Arledge, who who was the VP of Sports for uh, ABC, was basically like, "Hey, like I don't know how this is going to go, but like either way, like we're going to televise the one that's that we're like where all the good players sure. are playing. Okay. Like, there's no you know there's no upside to going and televising, you know, a bunch of nobodies in the field. We're just going to hang out and see who wins, and then we're going to televise that tour. Shout out to the modern uh, TV contract as well. And then the you've RSM got, classics yeah. of the world. Can and I then, read the first paragraph of Jack's letter? Yeah. it's you got to read it in Jack voice, though. <laughs> I can't do a good Jack voice. Uh, the, the verbal attack recently unleashed on me by Leo Frazier, the secretary of the Professional Golfers Association, was on the whole inaccurate. Frazier did spell my name correctly, Jack Nicholas. He even had my age right, 28, and he signed his own name properly, Leo Frazier. The rest of his cutting statement, though, was a personal assault. And then he goes on for... Goes on to say, Barbara and I were so offended by this letter. <laughs> he goes on to say, the reason... What sets my ice cream apart from other ice creams in the market? <laughs> the other thing is you got the International Golf Sponsors Association, the IGSA, which represented... Uh, 34 of the 44 events on the PGA Tour. On the PGA, sorry, not the PGA Tour. They're basically sitting over here to the side and saying, hey, like, we don't, you know, don't jeopardize our shit here. Like, like we've we've set up these events. Like, you guys work it out, but, like, we're going to be over here, and, like, we're going to be, we're going to go with whichever 
one huh. of you guys figures this out. Do you mind if I read one other part of this letter here? Please. You can read as much of the letters as you want. There's like gold it's all throughout. Fantastic. It. So he's talking about, you know, skipping ahead of, you know, uh, in 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 the letter talks about complaints that he was that he he wagered we raised complaints that he raised questions he raised about the field at the PGA Championship. Jack, big just asking questions guy. <laughs> so the, he said there were only fifty six touring pros in the starting field of one hundred and sixty eight players at San Antonio. One day a writer asked me about this ratio. I said it's absurd and unfortunate. Only a third of the players at the PGA were regular tour competitors, or in other words, the best players in the world. PGA's antiquated qualifying system prevented top players such as Bob Murphy, Lee Elder, and Dean Beeman, hold on to that one, from playing at San Antonio. As a member of the tournament committee, I spoke out against the system. I had nothing to gain for myself. I was exempt from qualifying for the PGA tournament. I wanted a proper tour representation at the pros' own championship. The PGA should be the number one tournament in golf because it is our championship. It cannot be number one, though, when many top players, the tour players, cannot tee the ball up. There you go. Tough to argue with any of that. Omar Uresti out there. <laughs> it you know, I can't have that. I can't sleep on that. So, also why it gets a little fickle to compare eras, but that's <laughs> it's neither here nor there. Well, Compar- it, it, comparing Jack's 18 to Tiger's 15 is what I'm getting at. It, and, but he also gets to, if yes, you're right. <laughs> if all this reflects my typical attitude, well, that's fine. It means I have been performing on behalf of the other 205 tour pros who elected me in the first place the fellows who earn five thousand dollars a year as well as the hundred thousand dollar guys the attitude i take to the negotiating table is their attitude i mean it's it's kind of hard it's definitely hard to argue with a lot of what he's saying no i totally uh so essentially the the players kind of call the tours or the uh, pga's bluff they're like hey like if you're not going to accede to our demands we're going to set up this apg and we are Going off on our own, like C Pines said, hey, we, you know, we're going to host an event. Uh, Sam Snead. People are staying at Spice Bush with Randy. At his, <laughs> exactly. At his like, that's how, but like these tournaments are st- like, we're major players, you know, the, the Bob Hope or the San Diego Open. Like all these tournaments are made major players in, you know, both now and then. Like yeah. they're still the same, you know, kind of uh, like the Greater Hartford Open, for instance. It's still the same like host organizations. That yeah. Are- yeah, them on. exactly. It's, it's funny how the schedule looks. In the winter alone, it's got L.A. Open. It's got Bing Crosby National Pro-Am. It's got the Bob Hope, De- Hope Desert Classic, the Phoenix Open. Uh, Doral's obviously not there anymore. The Greater Jacksonville Open in March, mm-hmm. which I'm not saying evolved into the Players' Championship. but um, And then, of course, yeah, we get into the Masters and stuff like that. So it's, it's interesting. So they keep negotiating. Uh, Elbin steps down, the burning tree guy steps down, and he's basically saying, we're willing to share control, but the players insist on dominant control. <laughs> Elbin gets replaced by Pierre Gasly. <laughs> <laughs> so then that's when he's he's replaced by this Leo Frazier guy. So that's that's where this guy, you know, they, they bring in this Leo Frazier guy to really, like, up the ante and, and, you know, take it to the players. You know, so essentially they end up coming to an agreement uh, in December of uh, 68, and they formed the Tournament Players Division, a freestanding corporation run by a 10-member tournament policy board. It's like all the same vocabulary as what you still find. Like, it's all hatched right here. Four players, three PGA executives, three consulting businessmen. Commissioner would run the tour and answer only to the board. All the APG contracts and their tournament schedule will be transferred to the PGA, and all pending litigation would be dismissed. So, hmm. and at that point, they had about $5.5 million in total purse. Money leader was 164 k Frank Beard. 
that's the Reader's Digest version of it. Frank um, Beard's the guy from Formation. Top. I mean, that's, uh, it's kind of wild. I, I don't truly did not know the story of the formation of the PGA Tour. And they brought in Joe Day. The uh, Joe Dye. Uh, Joe Dye. So I had, I, that one got me too, but I had to learn. Joe it. Dye, the respected executive director of the USGA, he kind of you know brought everybody back to the table, calmed things down, took the temperature down a little bit. And, uh, you know, that's that. But it seemed like Palmer was really the one that, like Nicholas was out there, you know, jabbing everybody and trying to create a fight. And Palmer was like, "Hey, like here's like we gotta get this figured out. Here's some ideas how to do it." Hmm. So it seems like it kind of went on for like six or seven years before it fully. Yes. Like the the names kept changing, and I think the structure kept changing quite a bit. But it it took a while for it to all kind of shake out. From from it seems like from sixty five to sixty eight or sixty nine, it was then full, even into the seventies, right before it was fully called like the PGA Tour. PGA Tour was, came in nineteen seventy five. Yeah. Yeah. Beeman came in in 74, right? Correct, yeah. A quick break here to check in with our friends at Rapsodo. You can go to rapsodo.com slash NLU. Use promo code NLU for $100 off a mobile launch monitor plus a limited edition towel. You've heard us talk a lot about the Rapsodo. They're extremely accurate. They get within 2% of a $20,000 unit, and these things cost less than $500 when you use our discount code. The Rapsodo mobile launch monitor, it automatically tracks your stats and stores video with Shot Tracer, helps your club gapping, and helps you understand your true distance for each club if you're working on gaining some speed you know you, you need to track that you need to figure out a way if you are actually gaining speed the Rapsodo does exactly that it gives you immediate feedback and data creates a better practice environment keeps you from mindlessly hitting balls also just at the end of a practice session it's going to give you an overhead view of you know how many you missed left of your target how many you missed right of your target where all your balls are collecting it's extremely helpful information it's very portable it's about the sa- size of a rangefinder. you can use it both indoor and outdoor so go to rapsodo.com slash nlu promo code nlu for a hundred dollars off plus a limited edition towel again rapsodo.com slash nlu promo code nlu so I think that rolls us into part two, which takes us to the 1983 attempted overthrow of the government. They, Jack Nicholas said, Mr. Beeman, you must tear down this wall. So I think one thing to just note in general, I think maybe hopefully would be a, a podcast guest in the future, is Dean Beeman was, was, a, was a menace and a driving force. Uh, still is a menace. It is a menace. It still is a menace. A driving force behind the game that we currently see. In fact, I will be heavily, heavily, maybe borderline on plagiarizing uh, Adam Schupack's book, Dean Beeman, Golf's Driving Force, as we tell the story of... I was going to say, you're already plagiarizing the calling of a driving force. <laughs> what happens in 83, but... So, as we mentioned, Dean Beeman was, uh, became the commissioner of the PGA Tour in 1974. It's worth noting, Beeman was a fantastic player in his own right, great player in his own right, I believe. he's The, the origination of that phrase actually starts with Beeman. Um Beeman was one of the first people to chart golf courses, like chart yardage book wise. He was the one who taught Jack Nicholas how to do it. Like it's pre- a great story. Preparing note cards, and uh, Jack Nicholas actually credits him with two of his major wins. One of which he noticed something in Jack's putting stroke before, ahead of one of the PGA Championships, and said something to him at his house, like "You're not completing your backstroke." Nicholas left the dinner, went out to go practice his putting, and goes out to win the tournament. Uh, and I forget what the other story is of, of the credit he gets. Maybe it was about the charting the, of the golf course. But Nicholas himself sp- specifically gave Dean Beeman shout-outs for winning two of his majors, which is all very interesting. They used to play practice rounds together. 
And uh, things don't necessarily end well between Mr. Beeman and Mr. Nicholas. But of other notes, Beeman was responsible for converting the tour from a for-profit entity into the 501c6 that we see today. Mm. Um, mm. And one of the, you know, the, the many pillars of, uh, again, we're kind of cheating and we're going ahead to, to 94 to when Beeman retires. But th- over the course of his tenure, the PGA Tour assets grew from $400,000 in 1974 to $260 million in 1994. So, and adjusted for inflation, it was 1.2 to, to $260 million. So, enormous, enormous, enormous growth under the Beeman administration. And Beeman's, your notes here, it's his original thesis was that golf was tremendously undervalued. Tremendously undervalued. It was basically like an association that scheduled tournaments, put rules officials out there. It was not a business entity, and it was not, there was no marketing. There was just no, no, Basically, the big thing was marketing, right? There's no, like, push for, like, listen, is he maybe to blame for the fact that we see a million PGA Tour commercials? He might, he very well might be. <laughs> he was a, a creator of the television model that we see today. So maybe we do have a little, a few more beefs with, with Dean Beeman. But, again, so fast-forwarding ahead to 1983, and, again, this is detailed in Adam Schupack's book, Dean Beeman's Golf Driving Force. Adam Schupack, fellow Columbia. Go Lions. So is Rune Artledge, by the way. Really? Yes. So it starts with the story of from the Mar- from March of 1983. It said once seated, and this takes place in Arnold Palmer's office um, at Bay Hill. Once seated, Nicholas quickly took the lead. He outlined his concerns, berating Beeman for breaking with precedent. The tour's purpose, Nicholas said, should be limited to assembling the schedule, marking the golf course, and setting the hole locations. Tournament operations should be the ballywhack of sponsors, volunteers, and tournament directors. In short. Nicholas was at odds with the tour's growing role as a marketing engine and proclaimed its marketing initiatives had crossed the line. All right, let's break down what that means. Yeah. What, what, what's he angry about? Nicholas here? wants more unpaid volunteers. <laughs> <laughs> so just of note, the marketing department for the PGA Tour had started in 1980. So that was three years prior to this. So basically, again, taking Beeman's vision, marrying these two things, Beeman's vision of saying, look, we're not going to be just like marking pins. Like, I can totally see that this thing is undervalued. Here is what we are going to create. Now, listen, did the PGA Tour have some communication issues to the players? Beeman admits that pretty much to say, like, a lot of what happens here is a lack of communication of what we've done, what what our, you know, what we're allowed to do under sounds our mandate. Um, yeah, it sounds extremely familiar to what's currently going on. And so... The way this is also, and I'm trying not to be editorialized too much uh, criticism here of Nicholas, but I, I personally just don't find Jack to be the most adept businessman over the course of his career. I think and, it'd be fair to say like Jack's like a abysmal. Uh, I had a feeling that <laughs> yeah. was going to be followed. But so coming into, he's in his 40s at this point, right? So he's 43-ish years old, I think, around this time. And he's starting to see the benefits of like course design business and the marketing of his own logo. And he is of the mind that for every marketing, all the marketing that the PGA Tour does, it's potentially taking customers away from him and marketing opportunities away from him specifically. Which is tough timing with launching the PGA Tour apparel and tough, tough, Tough time with launching the TPC Design Network. Exactly. And for every TPC course that gets designed, that is not a Jack Nicholas signature design. And if the tour has an official credit card, that's one less sponsor that, Correct. that Jack could work with directly. So selfishly, he feels like, well, I have this business engine of my own. The PGA Tour is going to 
sign up sponsors that are going to benefit all the other members and not me. He hates the OMPs. He hates <laughs> the official marketing partners. Which I, I think like a lot of what we'll hear here, both sides, you know, pretty strong case, right? I totally understand where Jack's coming from, but I think on Dean Beeman's side, like his, much like it is today with Jay Monahan, I mean, his job is to make his 200 members happy, not to make Jack Nicholas happy, right? And so it's... Well, that also, Jack, you know, what, 20 years later is a little at odds with the statements from his letter of, I'm negotiating on behalf of, you know, the guys that elected me here. And now he's like, fuck those guys. <laughs> I, I got mine. I got I want to keep getting mine. Yeah, pretty so, much. Yeah. <clears throat> Taking the, doing the Billy Horser route. So <laughs> a, a name we're going to hear here is E.M. DeWint, who is the chairman of the policy board and also chairman of the Eaton Corporation. E-M? Eaton Corporation. Oh, E-M e is his name. Oh, uh, two oh, letters, okay. yeah. He had noted yeah, in 1979 that Beeman assessed some brutal facts, professional tournament golf experience, a period of relatively flat growth and uncertain prospects for several years in the 1970s. Television ratings declined, and research indicated a shrinking demographic for the game. Many felt that golf had not kept pace with other professional sports in terms of marketing, promotion, or spectator innovations, nor had the tour developed any significant revenue sources besides television rights fees, which in 1980 accounted for nearly 80% of tour cash receipts. So this is what Beeman is saying. Like, here, here's our issues, right? And so Beeman has these initiatives that he takes to, to, uh, you know, to address these issues. But going back to what we were saying, the tour had uh, then signed deals for official credit card, airline, and cruise line, and Nicholas complained that the growth of such initiatives represented unwanted competition for his and Palmer's own branding opportunities. So he and Palmer at this time, that's in quote, he and Palmer at this time are not not best friends. Like we know them in our generation as being two great traveling sportsmen who are, you know, they, I don't they, think they were ever best friends though, right? That was just kind of a, well, they, they a initially show. are this is I don't want to say this is competing. I think it was a lot. Yeah, I, I think it was a lot like when Bill Clinton and George H.W. Bush were <laughs> touring the world after they were president, like palling around. But Could very well be. Back yes. in the day they weren't friends, right? I, I don't know if that makes Arnold Palmer actually Arnold Palmer and Bill Clinton that kind of yeah. <laughs> that could kind of work yeah. uh, on a couple of different levels. So Palmer and Nicholas are are agreeing. It's noted in the book to say they're agreeing to put their differences aside to to discuss this right to meet about this. Um, he expressed other concerns. He believed this is Nicholas that the tour should limit its role in negotiating and packaging television rights. Nicholas and Palmer operated their own tour events and wanted to sell the TV rights individually rather than have them group with the tour's other tournaments. That's like... That seems wildly Staggeringly stupid. stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Which, Again, on the whole, like if you're, if you're Jack and you're the memorial and you think you can get a better deal, like I guess I get it, but what a wildly selfish like, wouldn't decision, you, Yeah, wouldn't right? you just look, look right through this guy if you were anybody on tour and be like, well, fuck this guy. He's, he doesn't have our best interests in mind. He's got his own interests in mind. And that's just what pretty much the, you know, the, how Jack viewed it was like, dude, give us the tournaments, give us the money, play the tournaments, let us take care of our marketing individually. Like all of this is, you know, benefiting other people a lot more than me. We play for the prize money and we got to compete for that. I'm fine with that. But like this stuff we've got going on here could, could like greatly exceed what we're able to make on the course. Like stop disrupting that for us. That's, that's my, you know, consumption Wasn't of it. Palmer already like, I just have such a tough time like grasping Palmer saying, you know what? Like I've got this deal with Cooper tires and this deal with, with Gulfstream and this deal with Pennzoil and like the tour signing these marketing partners and all this stuff's going to evaporate. 
right? Like I just, I, I, I like don't, I don't see that happening. Right. That's, that's how Nicholas saw it and was persuasive based on how it's described in the book. And Nicholas concluded, well, what I'll, was the vibe of the other players outside of Nicholas. So we'll get to that. Nicholas concluded, I'll do everything in my power to stop that man, he said, of Dean Beeman. Mama, there goes that man. <laughs> so again, he, he besieged. Like Wallace. Damn him, damn that man. <laughs> Nicholas besieged Palmer to put their business interests before any lingering animosity for each other. It was time to orchestrate a palace coup. Now, another great part in here is the meeting takes place at uh, Arnie's office at Bay Hill. And Nicholas like refused to believe that this was Arnie's real office. He thought it was like a power play of this some kind. This is such a good such a good like detail. The book, like the office was just like kind of a mess or like shoddy. I don't know exactly what it was, but kind of like, like, is this really your office, Arnie? And then Arnie left the room and was like, no, no, seriously, is this his office? And apparently Arnie was so just like perturbed by that. He ended up spending millions of dollars renovating <laughs> his office because of how hard Jack like it ripped on it. So this leads to Beeman saying it was not a power struggle. It was a total revolution. Again, we, we talked about how they were, they only had 400,000 in the bank when he became the commissioner. They were playing for $8.2 million in total prize money. They had rented office space in New York and its largest owned capital asset was an IBM Selectric typewriter. But again, if you don't really have a, a TV contract, which that's what I don't understand is like what happened between 68 when Rune Arledge is talking about that 10 tournament deal and you know, 80 or 83 when, how did the TV contract not, well, I bet it not was, really grow I'm or not really? Totally, totally guessing here, but I, I wonder if that was much more, you know, dependent on the majors, which all would have been independent, and then maybe a small yeah. handful of other independent tournaments, like what Jack's talking about. And it's going about. individually to them instead of into Yeah, and it goes to so the whole point, though, of like, this is wildly undervalued. Well, here right. we go. Against this sobering background, Beeman developed his vision for the tour, promoting the game aggressively. Growing the shit out of it. Growing the <laughs> out Increasing revenue by competing more effectively in the sports marketplace and broadening the base of support for tournament golf and the game. In the nine years that have passed uh, since Beeman had assumed leadership of the tour, Beeman found a 415-acre piece of swampland in Ponte Vedra Beach, Florida, and persuaded the developer to sell the land to the tour for $1. He moved the tour's headquarters there and built the TPC Sawgrass Stadium course, marking the launch of a network of spectator-friendly golf courses. So this is, again, where it enters that, like, a lot of the pros, some of the pros that were starting to design golf courses, like, what the hell is going on here? Like, you guys are totally distracted by what what you think you're supposed to be doing here, and and this is not working for us, is basically what... I what bet Jack was pissed that he didn't ask him to do the stadium course. That is... In, in not so many words, what I'm kind of, what I'm kind of picking up here and as well. I, and I've got to guess that that developer got some type of oh, that, off that, the record. That had to be the most corrupt deal. <laughs> yeah, it's not just one dollar. I'm gonna I'm gonna hypothesize. Well, that was that. the they, whole they story. They let him is, build all the yeah, all the housing around. Yeah, exactly. Okay. The, whole, the whole story is in uh, the Sawgrass Clubhouse. Actually, they've got the dollar bill on display and the whole big got plaque the that goats tells the whole story. Are on the yeah, roof. Exactly. We're gonna basically we're, give me the land for a dollar, and I'll make it valuable for you to build other stuff around it. Yes. Yeah. And so, again, bragging on Beeman more, Beeman had ushered in the creation of the Senior PGA Tour just in time to showcase the magnetism of Arnold Palmer as he entered the twilight of his career. Tournament purses were on the rise. Charitable contributions had reached record levels. New revenue streams from TPCs to marketing partners were paying off handsomely. The tour's financial picture had never been better. All of this was irrefutable. So going back a little bit to Jim Colbert's role in all this, and Jim Colbert's The Colbert Report? The Colbert Report. <laughs> Um, he notes that, uh, you know, I, I don't know where I'm at in this timeline, but just a few weeks prior at the Byron Nelson, 
Colbert walked in the locker room and found Nicholas holding court in front of 20 other pros. Colbert stood there within earshot and listened to Jack disparage the way Beeman ran the tour like a feudal lord. This Dean Beeman guy, I tell you, I tell you what. <laughs> Jack had a, uh, like, the, that time's version of, like, a Facebook group that he was he was <laughs> trying to mount an insurrection on the, on the tour. <laughs> Col- Colbert report summed up the grievance <laughs> session with this assessment. Jack thought the tour was all but running a used car lot. Meanwhile, Jack is running his personal businesses into the ground. <laughs> this seems like a perfect time period where Beeman could have easily connected the intercoastal waterway. For sure. If you were, if that, you that's, were, that was a missed opportunity. If you were ever going to do it, it's way easier before you put all the houses up. Before, yeah. yeah. No imminent domain is ne- necessary. Yeah, exactly. Maybe Nicholas was, was a big proponent of that. And well, we'd never know because he didn't get a chance to, to actually, you know, put together a proposal. I also think it's interesting. I did a little bit of research on Beeman lived in Marsh Landing mm. here in Ponte Vedra Beach. Uh, Marsh Landing, a Arnold Palmer signature design. Exactly. It does. Uh, the book also kind of places some of the blame for this, this what eventually is about to happen on a lot of the agents. Chuck Perry, who was uh, an Johnny agent, the t- along with Watson's agent, was, uh, was uh, Chuck Rubin. They are the ones that persuaded. So Chuck Perry was Nicholas's agent, persuaded Nicholas and Watson that the marketing and growth of the tour would undercut their entrepreneurial opportunities. Is so. McCormick involved at all? He's not really leading all of this. It seems like it. it there's a line in the book too that says, um, you know, what uh, what Dean Beeman failed to do, what you're supposed to do, is um, making sure the people that have decided they hate you and people that are unsure, making sure they stay in separate rooms, <laughs> is an interesting line here. Basically, to the persuasiveness of of Jack in all of this, basically to 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 start convincing people that things were wrong. So the agents argued that if the tour entered into a relationship with a Fortune 500 company, undermine the players' abilities to sign their own deals on the surface. Perry's argument had merit in an appeal to Nicholas, who shared his zero-sum outlook in which there could only be winners and losers. Beeman's distance from the sport since his retirement as a player in 1974 provided him with a different perspective, but he still understood the mindset of the professional athlete. The agents preyed on their clients' underlying fear that the tour would snatch lucrative deals from them. One of their chief complaints, by getting into real estate through development of tournament players' clubs, the tour was directly competing with certain players who had their own design and development businesses. So, if the pie grew bigger, they would still be the top chefs, said Beeman, referring to the trio of Nicholas, Palmer, and Watson. They would have had their pick of the plums. And uh, he, he, he ticked off several examples of the tour negotiating agreements with National Car Rental, the official car rental of the PGA Tour. That scenario, he insisted, didn't harm Palmer's longstanding relationship with Hertz. In fact, it motivated Hertz. Also with Uncle Juice. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> in fact, it motivated Hertz to become more active in golf and Palmer's value to the company increased. But Nicholas and Palmer rejected this line of reasoning and maintained that the tour had overstepped its boundaries. So... Something that happens in this time period as well is Beeman picks up the tag, the czar of golf. Hell yeah. And I honestly thought about assigning this section to you only be, just for that purpose alone, but I figured the shark was, yeah. was, was just right up your alley. And is so. he doing a, like a bunch of stuff to standardize the tournaments like as far as the product that's out there, whether it's the TV product or the on-site product or you know, the, the player experience at a tournament, like he's, he's basically ensuring consistency across the schedule. That it, right? Yes. That's not specifically spelled out in terms of the top of the, of the list of the things that he's done, but I assume that there's just a ton of, that's one of the things that the PGA tour has been amazing at is just like having the same procedures in place operationally 
So anyways, the czar of golf is a derisive nickname that evokes players' hostility towards his rising authority in the golf community. It also reflected a larger disdain for the way he felt he acted as prosecutor, judge, and jury. Having played a key role in the breakaway of the tour with Nicholas, Palmer said he felt a sense of responsibility to ensure the next generation of players was afforded the same opportunities as he enjoyed. Grow the game. When a letter it to seems the, like the opposite of what he's doing. Right? When, Everything that Beeman is is are you saying Beeman is trying to ensure that or Nicholas is trying to ensure that? Palmer said he felt like he was he was trying to ensure that. that so. It seems like the opposite of what they're doing. Not, it seems like Beeman's whole thing is like network effect. Like yes. we're gonna work together, yes. we're gonna bundle all this stuff yep. and everybody's gonna get richer. And it seems like what the top three guys are yes. saying is like, fuck that. Like I'm I'm gonna take what's mine and like just set up the pins, please. I bet players over on the side, like, oh, we need to grow the game. <laughs> so when a tour, when a letter to the tour's policy board chairman called for Beeman's head, Palmer signed. Hmm. So again, this is a quote from Jack Nicholas. Dean worked as hard as he could to have a socialist state. Jack's been fighting socialism for a long, long period of time here. The, Nicholas said this in his book, Arnie and Jack, the definitive book examining the complicated relationship of Palmer and Nicholas by author Ian O'Connor. The stars were knocked down. He created a tour in his own image. Speaking of Beeman. Yes. Be- yes. Yes. It's like the shield. The, you know, the <laughs> NFL. Like it's, you know, the shield's more important than the individual players. Exactly. So yeah. Beeman was shocked that Palmer Nicholas failed to understand the tour's direction. <laughs> How do you guys not get this? <laughs> his authority. Are you messing with me? How do you not understand? This is so obvious. Yeah. So here really is where, is. here's where it gets very clear. Beeman's authority was established in the tour's original charter and granted in part by Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer. They spearheaded the, the tour's separation from the PGA in 1968. Nicholas took part in hiring the lawyers that drew up the papers to form the corporation. So why were golf's two biggest names so up in arms? In fact, Nicholas's agent had already drafted a letter to the board chairman. IMG's Johnson brought a copy of it to the meeting and jotted down the names of all players that were in attendance upon it. As rain showers pelted the course, Nicholas canvassed the room asking, who's with me? <laughs> uh, tough. It's like the Jerry Maguire. <laughs> so on the morning of May 27th, 1983, while a handful of player agents met to discuss the events of the night before over breakfast, Nicholas and Palmer signed off on a letter addressed to the chairman of the tournament policy board. Watson's name joined 11 other prominent golfers of the day. Johnny Miller, Lee Trevino, Raymond Floyd, Lanny Watkins, and Tom Weiskopf among them who supported the uprising. So, do we want to go through the letter? Sure. Dear Mr. DeWint, for the past several years, we have become concerned about the direction of the PGA Tour and the role of the commissioner. As players, we believe that we have a responsibility not only to ourselves, but to the future generation of tour players, to our tournament sponsors, and to all the fans and communities who support professional golf in this country and around the world. We strongly believe that the role of the PGA Tour should be limited to organizing and managing a schedule of professional golf tournaments for the benefit of tour members. This was the sole reason that our organization was formed, and it is still the only justification for is its existence. It is our opinion that the Tour's efforts in course development, marketing, club management, rules of golf, and other ventures divert the energies of the commissioner's office and substantially increase the operating overhead and unnecessary, unnecessarily expands the bureaucracy of the organization. In addition, we believe these activities create a major conflict of interest with the individual members of the PGA Tour. The players of the PGA Tour, both past and present, have delegated the organization and management of our tournament schedule to the Tour. However, we never intended to create a monster which is competing against the individual interests of Tour players 
in commercial areas outside of tournament golf. Our areas are shared by a significant number of tour players. These specific areas include, and I'm not going to read all the details on this, golf course development, marketing, TV package, player television rights, and the role of the tour. Now, under the role of the tour, it says, the mandate of the PGA Tour is to create and organize tour events. This responsibility includes maintaining excellent sponsor relationships and providing highly professional and responsive tour field staff and operations which result in the best possible tour events. We do not intend to stand silently by while the, while the tour continues to exceed its mandate by progressively encroaching on the basic rights of all tour players. Nor do we intend to watch the tour commissioner become the czar of golf at the expense of other important organizations within the golfing community. It's amazing how badly these guys got got detonated. Like just seeing how like what the tour turned into. Well, just as a like flash forward, you mean? Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Is like Holy it's it's shit. important to look at like uh, God. I know you know history is all. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and on all this stuff, and you can't necessarily know what's going to happen. But whoa, like it, it's so clear what Beeman's doing here, and how sustainable of a business he's he's building, right? To be and that's, fair, it's some of the same stuff that I hate about the tour, though, too, for sure. You know? But but it's, it's all also, benefiting these people, these yes, specific people. Yes. It, like in a vacuum, did it did it lead to something things that we don't like, like too many commercials and all that? Sure, but like for looking at it from a player's perspective, these guys are so off base, like fighting. It's like no way, man. The pie's gonna get bigger, and yet your slice is technically smaller, maybe, but it's bigger because the whole pie is massive. Well, it's, smaller it's slice just of a fascinating much bigger pie. because yeah. like how many guys are members of the tour? Two hundred, right? One hundred and twenty-five, and and so you've got these ten to twelve guys in a room that are that are reaping. You know, they're standard to reap even bigger benefits of that. Like, it's a, it's everybody's vote counts the same, right? So, who gives a shit what these 12 guys have to say when it's 125 men? Right. So, uh, if you couldn't tell from the emphasis of what I, or what I emphasized in there, the, the line exceed its mandate, those three words are going to change exactly how this plays out. So, the letter finishes with So, we urge you to shift the PGA Tours emphasis away from what we consider to be an unauthorized and ill conceived course of action, which will be detrimental to all concerned. We'll work with you on recharting the Tours course if you are agreeable. If not, we will have no other choice but to take whatever action is required to protect, protect our individual and collective rights. The issues outlined in this letter have been fully discussed with the players whose names appear on the enclosed sheet. Those players fully subscribe to the content of this letter. In the upper right-hand corner, simply the signatures of golf, two cultural icons, Palmer and Nicholas, and to the left, a list of concurring tour pros was attached. It named Andy Bean, Ben Crenshaw, Raymond Floyd, Hale Irwin, Tom Kite, Johnny Miller, Gary Player, Craig Stadler, Lee Trevino, Lanny Watkins, Tom Watson, and Tom Weiskopf. All of the above had attended the previous day's meeting with the exception of Player, who they forgot to invite and later apologized <laughs> to its oversight. Hell yeah. For the low. No, yeah, no, I'm in, man. Sounds good. Yeah, put me, put me down. When was that meeting? Uh, that was my favorite note of all. <laughs> they forgot to invite Player. F -f Quote, unquote. Forgot. Beeman was furious that Floyd, Irwin, and Kite had signed the letter. They were all former policy board members. He was also furious, feeling betrayed and demoralized when his eyes reviewed one sentence that stopped him in his tracks. The letter alleged that he and the board had exceeded its mandate and further charged those activities were unauthorized. 
These words were designed to galvanize their co-conspirators, but Beeman wondered if its authors had inadvertently provided the ammunition for a possible counterattack. So Beeman doesn't want to do this confrontation directly. Like he's very much sensing the vibe of like, these dudes don't, don't want me. Like they're not going to listen to what my message is, is, is going to be coming, but which is tough though, because it's also, if you're him, I, I assume it's looking at the tea leaves here and being like, yo, any commissioner is going to do exactly what I'm doing. Like this is not some radical, yeah. some radical plan, or right? The, so he can leave, but like somebody else is going to come in and do the exact same thing. Or they, or they just want a commissioner. That's like a complete order taker. I guess not going to like to just, you know, do the very basic stuff and, and somebody that's, that's not a dynamic leader. Beeman says, you know, he, all right, I'm going to fight this, but he also said he intended to negotiate a deal for TPC Sawgrass and the TPC network uh, in case that he did lose, basically saying whatever the tour would compensate me on my way out would not compare to the TPC network. Obviously, we know that the tour, uh, this coup does not happen. And uh, Beeman's later saying that, yeah, this actually fighting for the players cost him probably a billion and a half dollars. If he would have just owned, the, he would own the TPC network on his own Holy as part shit. of his compensation. <laughs> this guy was burying landmines and shit all over the place. <laughs> So Beeman leaned on Jim Colbert to help fight the battle. Colbert boarded Air Bear, which was Nicholas's private plane, with a copy of the tour's original Delaware Corporation charter from Beeman. So he said, you know, Beeman gave him the message, focus on the ramification of the changes uh, that the CEOs of Eaton Corp, Westinghouse, and Disney were being charged with exceeding their authority. So basically saying, like, all right, if you're saying the board and the commissioner are exceeding their authority, like, you're going to tell these heads of businesses that are part of this board, like, you, you are not following the mandate, like how serious of a charge that is, like to go confront these guys to be like, you can't, saying you're, it's like illegal overreach. Yes. Yeah. Like, do you realize what you're saying here? First of all, and basically, <laughs> We're gonna be honest, man, we just wanted some more money. I, we didn't think, we didn't think much past it, much past that. And so they pull up the original charter that says like specifically that the tour was going to be doing this. And Nicholas, rendered speechless with an edge of suspicion creeping in his voice, says, who granted those privileges? Whose man's is this? Who granted those privileges, Barbara? Barbara, whose man's is this? Colbert points at the tour player directors who voted for the charter, circled the name Nicholas, and said, you did. (laughs) That was the extent of Nicholas's cross-examination. His eyes grew wide. He squirmed in his seat and slouched despondently. Colbert then underlined Nicholas's name on the letter to the tour chairman, handed it to Nicholas, and didn't sugarcoat the severity of the situation. Colbert scolded Nicholas, telling him he had impugned the integrity of the tour, the commissioner, and the independent directors. If you don't withdraw your letter, the tour will spend every nickel it's got to hurt your name. What a turn of events. Nicholas sitting there in his private play and thinking he's got the tour by the... Were they know. just flying around? <laughs> There's some detail. There was, it was from D.C. It was I, I skipped okay. over some details here. I'm taking it long enough uh, as it is but basically so they they where they end up Followed is as one of the great own goals of our time <laughs> nicholas's agent chuck perry joins him in a hotel room nicholas says show him what you showed me and uh perry quickly realized that the efforts to unseat beeman had been thwarted then nicholas acted swiftly to prevent any problems uh from reuben to jack's credit uh, this is a quote to Jack's credit. He picked up the phone and called Ruben and threatened him to an inch of his life. <laughs> the revolt had been quelled mostly thanks to the messenger. And uh, Mark Kazier, Kizier, a past PJ president, member of the tours board at the time, said, I believe Jim Colbert saved Dean's job. I never said it to Dean. I never said it to Jim, but I believe it. And so this ends with a meeting that's that takes place in New York uh, in June of that year where, you know, Beeman and DeWitt are meeting with Arnie and Jack, basically citing like, they created an annual report 
with a lot of information, just like the one we kind of saw recently that shows the tour players, how they're being paid, whatnot. But it was the first time a full like annual report had been accumulated for the players, which Beeman like, admits, like, yeah, we probably should have been doing that. Like the tour should the players should have probably been aware of like how this whole system was working for how, them. How well it's working. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's like good, better communication would have solved a lot of problems. Yes. And Arnold after being presented that, Arnold replied, We didn't we didn't need to send that letter. And, <laughs> and you know you, what? I hate we I hate that we did that. I hate man. that we did that, Dean. I'm sorry, Dino. <laughs> Listen, Dino. That's a bo- That's double bogey on I us, just Dino. Want to say that's on me, brother. It's <laughs> on me. He then joked <laughs> that it was there. It was Jack that got him into all of this. <laughs> <laughs> so the two quickly ob- withdrew their objections. Beeman conceded that Tor communicated poorly with its players. You know, so. you know, Jack got me all hot and bothered, Dino. What do you want me to do, man? So <laughs> you're slipping into Gruden now. That was that was <laughs> Arnold Palmer. Let's go get some Arnold Palmer's. Let's go mix up some Palmer's. Huh? That's, that's wild, man. Come on, man. <laughs> Larry Nelson, a player director on the tours board at the time, said it was the equivalent of a secret meeting between the Soviets and the Americans during the Cold War. One side could have pressed the red button to launch an atomic bomb, but they came to their senses. To those people who who were aware of it, we were nervous and extremely relieved at the outcome. Speaking about the private meeting in New York, of uh, Palmer Nicholas. And, and other parties, and Beeman and uh, DeWint as well. So, so um, oh, man. This also is coincide. This is right before a huge player meeting at this event, like that was designed for like kind of communication, right? And basically, they have this secret meeting that happens before it. DeWint opened the meeting by reading a prepared statement from Nicholas and Palmer, which said, Two weeks ago, we privately met and communicated to the board some concerns and questions about the current policies and future directions of the PGA Tour. It has never been our intent, however, to create any public controversy about the tour or its current leadership, both of which we support. Our main purpose, to get more information and to involve more leading players in helping shape the future of the tour, has been accomplished. The board has been very responsive. This is the 1983 version of, uh, you know, I saw their plan. My dad's plan was better. (laughs) Big time. The floor was turned over to Nicholas, who who asked to address the standing room only crowd. This again, this is a crowd full of like basically all tour players this time. He stared out towards his fellow competitors, commanding silence without saying a word. Thank you, everyone, for being here. Uh, Nicholas said simply and solemnly. He spoke for ten minutes. The players listened as as if it was a church congregation. Holding the annual report in his hand, Nicholas said that the players could see for themselves how well the tour leadership had performed. Under the circumstances, we think it best to formally withdraw our previous communication to the board, and Arnie and I now consider the matter closed. When one player raised his hand and asked, where's the letter, what's in the letter, Nicholas dodged the question (laughs) saying, shut up, Jason (laughs) (laughs) Kokrak. Said it wouldn't do anyone any good to read it. He grinned as if in pain, a player said. Nicholas reiterated that they had withdrawn the letter. It was a stunning turn of events. Kite, for one, nearly fell out of his chair. Nick, Nicholas said that's private. <laughs> that's, it's it's gonna, all going to be in the police report. Beeman appreciated Nicholas looking his fellow players in the eye and the clarity of the verdict. It was one of the classiest moves I've oh, ever oh, witnessed, God. Beeman said. That's that's total bullshit. That's, <laughs> that's, this might have come from Jack. That said like, Jack comes out of this looking like the biggest chicken shit who ever lived. It's, it's, I strongly recommend you read Adam Shupak's book because I'm, I'm summarizing a lot of it but skipping over some really fun details. I literally could have read the chapter the chapters word for word. Um, the entire meeting would last four hours, but Nicholas hightailed out of there after doing his part. He made his way to the hotel's lobby. He told the Washington Post, Thomas Boswell, that the player turnout probably 
the largest response ever. The fellows are just dying to have some information. This is in no way, this has in no way been an affront to Dean Beeman. <laughs> but if Dean has one fault, it's that he keeps a lot of things to himself. Slipping into a car, uh, waiting to whisk him away to the airport, Nicholas concluded, I'm going to stick to playing golf for a while. Beeman's contract was renewed stick one year sports, later, Jack. extending it five <laughs> more years. Man, God, that's good stuff. That's a story. That's a lot of reading. That's a lot of details from it. But man, it's uh, it's truly, truly fascinating. The, uh, very underreported on yes. thing. Shout out to Adam Shupak once more time for the book that covers this. So, so he got he got extended five more years, and then after that, he got extended like another five. Yes, because he went to ninety four. Ninety four was yeah. his last year. Which uh, is, so trying to just unpack a little bit of this, or, or trying to see it from the player side at least a little bit. I mean, I do get the lack of transparency thing. I do get if, you know, it's easy to look at like the P&L sheet now for the TPC network and be like, yo, it like basically breaks even or we make a little bit of money on it, but also we get to host all these tournaments there and like it, it you, completely you get to practice there. Like it completely makes sense for our business. Here's here's why. Here's all the numbers. As they're like putting those courses up and as they're spending money to develop those things and and if you don't know any of the numbers that are going on, I I do get why the players would be upset. Yes. Once you do have those things? Yeah, I don't get why they'd be upset. Yeah. That's but seems also too like foolish. during this whole period, he's he's I assume he's putting together the whole pension program and the points system for how to contribute to the. Pension. Well, they've probably got so much like new money coming in that they're probably trying to figure all that stuff out, right? It, it, exactly. So it's like he's he's like, yo, like I got this shit under control, <laughs> yeah. guys. Yeah. <laughs> a true just trust me man like yeah. i'm gonna be a lot better at this than you are meanwhile, what a fascinating meanwhile character. jack is literally running his own businesses into the ground that's it's wild it might have saved jack a lot of money with this so yeah. dean beeman did an interview later with uh, a podcast i think it's called for the good of the game like f-o-r-e good of the game i think i have that right he said whoever wrote the letter made a drastic error in about three words because if they had only said we as players do not want you to do this we would have lost and we wouldn't have been able to do those things. But what they also said, and add a couple little words that were the lifesaver of the tour today, that we believe that you exceeded your authority by doing what you're doing. And I said, we haven't exceeded our authority. And I pulled the original papers that were in the archives, the original incorporating documents of Delaware, and we cited to him, which is, uh, which is what those papers said. It said specifically, the tour could own golf courses. It could license. It could sell its name. And lo and behold, whose name was on that, those papers? Jack Nichols is one of the original board members. What a fascinating! I gotta. It's been way too long. I have not uh, read Shubak's book for a while. I need to. I need to dive back into it. What a fascinating character, man! This makes me think of heavyweights. Don't let anyone sign your checks, (laughs) for real, Nicholas. But all the the, even beyond all that, just all of Beeman's playing stuff. he played after his commission. He played on the senior tour. It's insane. Yeah, then he qualified for the uh, the uh, Open Championship in was it the eight? It was something when we did the Shark Pot. He. Yeah, I forget which year. It was. Oh yeah, yeah. Like uh, while he was commissioner, yeah. he qualified for the Open. <laughs> That's a flex. But like this is like you know big time like NBA like business moves going on, and it's also like I don't know he's just like a tour player. Yeah, well. Randy should have awesome. sent him a letter. Exactly. Said, "Hey, I'm I'm, I'm Randy. Randy. I'm, I'm in business. School. I think I could really help your tour." Well, sorry, I said he said I said he would have got a billion and a half out of the TBC network. It's half a billion, so I was only good. off by a billion. Yeah, probably still pretty good. good. Again, that so. was a half a billion in what. 90s dollars too, I think right? he's what he's saying is that's what's worth now okay. when he gave the interview so that's it that is it for solid well, great stuff no. shoe pack great stuff that's uh, that's a fascinating story so Beeman you know I'll, I'll pick it up right there Beeman retires in 94 and that's where we're going next to the WGT what does that stand for DJ I'm gonna guess the world golf tour the world golf tour so this is uh I don't know what um 
heavy, dramatic term we could do. Starting a new one. nation. Yeah, a new. I guess a new nation or uh, coalition of the willing. NATO. Kind of some an invasion from the Australian. I don't know. But uh, 1994. Let's set the scene. Top five players in the world in 1994. Nick Price. Nick Price is number one. Who else is on that list? Uh, Greg Norman. Greg Norman. Greg Norman's number two. Davis Love. No. Fred Couples. No. Mark McCumber's three. Jesus. Tom Lehman is four. Fuzzy Zeller is five. Nick Price won six tournaments, and he earned one point five million dollars that year. Norman won one tournament, $1.3 million. Uh, career sweet. money list leaders at that time. Anybody know who was the career money list leader? Tom Kite. Tom Kite, $9.1 million, 19 wins. And second was uh, the Shark, $7.9 million, 14 wins. So kind of sets the... Uh, <clears throat> so it seems like these guys are still getting paid under under Dean Beeman's watch. They're doing well, <laughs> and it kind of sets the... the um, table for like the shark is is kind of the biggest name in world golf but also in a big reason for the world golf tour the idea of it was the international players were starting to take over the world rankings so i think mm. six of the top 10 were not from the united states and the pga tour had kind of a monopoly on you know the money in golf at the time very low-key side side to comment here is it's crazy to go back and watch like old masters highlights and they're like John, what do you think of all the foreign guys here coming up on the leaderboard? That's kind of how I'm reading Nick this. Nick Price from Zimbabwe. <laughs> Steve Balesteros. Yeah. Uh, One of them, Gary players in the booth, are like, Gary, what do you think of all these foreign players up on top of the leaderboard? He's like, I mean, well, I'm foreign. Like, what, what, what do you mean? I'd love to follow uh, up with Gary on that one a couple years later. One more trivia question. Largest purse in 1994? Oh, $1.8 million. Not no. even close. 540K tour championship purse. Jesus. Wait, like 540K. Total purse. Total, Total purse. purse. Yes. So the Whoa. purses were, were, this is, you know, we got to remember this is pre-Tiger, right? So the, the purses had not made that big jump. And during the 94 season, Dean Beeman retires, and he handpicks Timmy Fincham to take over. Fincham worked for Jimmy Carter. Uh, he was very much a, you know, seen as kind of a. Worked in the Bush White House too, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, but a, kind of a button-down lawyer, very much a, not, not, I don't think he had the same gravitas um, or he hadn't proven that to, because he wasn't a player himself. He was much more of coming out of the, uh, the bureaucratic system of the tour at that time. Um, so using some, some, want to cite some material here. Great LA times article uh, written the day after a big announcement was made at the uh, shark shootout. So we'll go there. That's right. Thomas bonk. Also going to dig into a uh, morning read article by Dave Senor, which was excellent. And then a golf WRX article, which also quotes a Washington Post article by Thomas Boswell, who we heard from before, seemed to be a kind the of boss. A, the boss, the boss. A, a, kind of a beat writer. But November 17th, 1994, quote, this from the LA Times article, almost like a game piece. At a news conference at Sherwood Country Club where the Franklin Fund's shark shootout begins today, Greg Norman and John Montgomery announced an eight-event, $25 million <laughs> tour for the top 30 players in the world, end quote. So the basics of this tour. Greg Norman was the, quote, visionary, with John Montgomery being the COO and executive director. He was uh, kind of plugged into golf. He was doing a lot of uh, events set up and stuff like that. Uh, there would be eight events played in 1995, $25 million split across those events with $3 million going to the purse for each event. The winner gets six hundred k Last place gets thirty k Player of the year was to get $1 million bonus. So basically the, the World Golf Tour members – were guaranteed to make at least 290k plus they got a 50k uh, travel stipend. So no negotiating here, no anything. It's just like 
with so we'll Norman in the tour, but just says, hey, we, we're creating this tour. No, Norman just comes out straight out cold. Doesn't talk to any, they kind of, <laughs> but what they did have was Fox Sports was brand new either that year or the year before, had signed on to become the broadcast partner. And that's where most of this $25 million was coming from. They didn't have any tournament sponsors set up. They just had this eight-event schedule, and the world tour event sponsors were going to get up to 10 exemptions to make each field 40 players. So there was the top 30 in the world, and then whoever sponsored the event was going to be able to add 10. So they could add Nicholas, they could add Palmer, they could add whoever they wanted. I, I truly have already learned. Like I knew Greg Norman, World Tour 94. That's the true extent yes. of my knowledge of this whole thing. I, I did not realize how similar the recent announcement was yes i know it's literally just like oh no add two more events and an extra zero it's crazy we'll call it we'll call it a thing well and and how how similar it looks to the wgc's well we'll get there so the schedule is interesting four events were scheduled in the u.s one was going to be in japan one in scotland one in canada and one in spain so none in australia none in australia in the first year this is all for 95 this is what norman rolled out at the sherwood country club announcement and all the rest are in the u.s four in the u.s and then oh sorry it's only eight okay it's eight total and then the first event was scheduled kinda, for the week before. It sounds sick. I'm, yeah. I'm kind of No, in. well, listen to this. The first <laughs> Especially event, if Fox was going to be doing Pro <laughs> Tracer. Yeah. The first event was scheduled in the... Hopefully uh, Norman's not in the booth, though. Wait till I finish the question. <laughs> How's it fucking feel, Neil? <laughs> the first event was scheduled for the week before the Masters, opposite the PGA Tours Freeport McMorrin Classic in New Orleans. <laughs> Trivia question. Who, what is Freeport McMorrin? Got to be like a cigarette company or something. Okay, so what do you think company. they do? Freeport, uh, a defense contractor. Okay, <laughs> that's a good. Go guess. ahead. I'll, I'll say uh, life insurance. Mining company. Okay, uh, oh. is a, it's an American mining company based in Phoenix, Arizona, Incredi- trading at a uh, thirty-seven dollars a share right now. Incredible sales job by the tour. Incredible, <laughs> absolute masterful sales job by the tour. But I thought that was funny. Just like, what the fuck is the Freeman McMorrin <laughs> Classic at at New Orleans? Like, but that was kind of the point of. And, the, and Norman had said, we want to basically put these world um, golf tour events right before the majors. So he was trying to put one right before the U.S. Open. I didn't realize Right that. before the Open Championship, right before the PGA. Yeah. Uh, kind of where the PGA Tour schedule was, was light, Weak. basically. Um, this is like early on. you got to set the stage for Fox, too. Yeah, yeah. Early it's, on with Fox, as far as Rupert Murdoch's trying to make big-ass splashes. Like that whole thing when Fox, uh, I'm not sure if, if it was a 30 for 30 or or something about like the history of Fox's foray into the NFL of them, you know, essentially like it was such a big swing and they were such an unknown at the time. And they were just trying to get any sort of splash out there to kind of, and then they would build primetime lineups around it and like truly build a network around sports that like get people to your network. And then they got the Simpsons and all that. Mm. So, yeah, and, and Fox is basically the main financial backer here of this. But Norman announced all this after doing it with, with a kind of a small team of insiders and he just comes out and announces it. You know, so what happens next, right? Fincham heard rumblings of this. So he preempts Norman. Norman, you know, jumped the shark. Let's say <laughs> he didn't get PGA Tour buy-in. He thought he was basically going to come out and, and surprise attack him. Which is going to have some issues. Yeah, it, it was no. I mean, it's Norman kind of. You know, he he blew it. It was really stupid. He didn't talk to he talked to some players one on one, but didn't really give them any details. <laughs> he so, needed to hold it in the locker room and say, "Who's with me?" <laughs> so Fincham plays hardball. He first he sends a memo to tour players, I believe, on like the 14th or like you know a couple days before 
the Sharks announcement and says, if you, anyone that joins a, a potential world golf tour that you haven't heard about yet will lose their PGA Tour card. He also starts up basically, you know, I don't want to call it this, but it's called this in some articles, a propaganda machine. So this guy, Thomas Boswell, he starts getting flamed by, you know, sports writers at the Washington Post, Baltimore Sun. Like all these guys are like, Norman's a greedy bastard. He's going to ruin American <laughs> golf. Like I got a few quotes in here I can, I can hit you with. And Wait, who's saying these quotes? The all golf writers. writers. The, sport, oh, the it, media it, is it. on the PGA Tour side. Got it. So Fincham basically what could have been an empty threat because he they're also getting investigated by the FTC at this time for anti antitrust antitrust stuff. Who right? is the, the, the tour? The tour is okay. Right. So he's already dealing with a little bit of that. Mm. Um, but he's like he decides to go with like the shock and awe, cease and desist of like threaten these independent contractors and say, if you do this, you'll lose your card, and it and it works basically. Pretty like the players move. get pretty freaked out. Same night as the shark shootout, or the next day, there's an emergency tour meeting, um, like in the evening. And at the emergency meeting uh, called that night, uh, Arnold Palmer asks for the mic and absolutely vaporizes the shark. Mm. Just goes in on him for being greedy and how could you turn your back on the tour? It's, it's doing so well, which is, after hearing from about the coup in 83, is... is unbelievable like he's just like how could you you know how could you leave your brothers out here you know like, un, like well it was jack's fault jack got him into it yeah i know so he's just he just flames a shark with the shark in the room just just calls norman out saying that he's a selfish greedy bastard is kind of the moral of the story uh, after being a part of the successful breakaway in 68 <laughs> yes, yes. and an attempted coup in 83 so dave Seiner's article uh, uh it's like sports illustrated morning read article uh quote this is from Norman. I was shell-shocked when I got out of that meeting, said Norman, his voice rising. Are you kidding me? How about having an open discussion about this, guys? How about not slaying the dream and just shutting me down and ostracizing me in front of the other players? Senior goes on to write, Norman, quote, Norman believes Palmer's appearance was orchestrated by the management company IMG, which for years had been inextricably entwined with nearly every aspect of professional golf. IMG ran the Sony ranking and represented dozens of tour players, including a founding alliance with Palmer, who died in 2016. Two years earlier, Norman had severed a long-time relationship with IMG, end quote. Mm. So he's thinking there's some backroom shady stuff going on. Fincham might be working with the agent agency to, uh, you know, basically it sounds like Fincham's like calling on any card he has to just like shock and awe, shut this down before it gets going. So one question. Yes, I yes, uh, yes, DJ. <laughs> in the back. I think You, a, who's probably not going to get in. I think a lot of this, like, what's Norman's original grievance here? Why Why is he trying to do this? It's, because it, it seems like a lot of it from what I've read is always, he doesn't like being told where to, where to play and when to play there, right? He wanted it's, to go back to Australia. You know, it's more. two things. It's he, he felt like the PGA Tour was not set up for uh, international golfers, and he felt like the international golfers were taking over the tour. And that there was a lot more opportunity to create a world golf tour, which is kind of like this shouldn't just be an American game. And all I have to do to keep my PGA Tour card is playing 15 events. So why can't I play 15? Whatever I want to do outside of that I'm is already, my business. Yeah, I already yeah. pick and choose where to play. So why don't I? Why can't we have eight world golf tour events? And I'll play in my 15 PGA ones. I'll play in these eight, and everybody's happy. And the Euro his. Tour is super. Like doing super well at this point, and too. like a proper yeah. like competitor to the DJ. And, and well. he's his quotes are a lot like what you're hearing today, where like I am the best golfer or the second best golfer in the world. Nick Price, an international player, we should be getting paid more. Our our purses are, you know, like I said, five hundred forty k. Like that number should be a lot higher 
for the uh, top 30 in the world. So his idea was like, well, this tour, these eight tournaments would guarantee that the top 30 players would make at least like the, the 30th player on that tour would make 290k a year, which would be in that you know compared to what they were making at, at the on the PGA Tour was a significant lift. Yep. So it was like same thing we've been talking about for an hour and a half. The top players should be getting more money. And the international players should be getting more respect, basically. Oh, what's so crazy about this stuff, if you go back to all the, you know, the PGL conversation, the SGL conversation, all that stuff is, like, each one of these three things you can take bits and pieces from, right? And they all kind of, like, add up to where we are today. Yeah. You know, like, none of them are direct comps, but they all have, like, little slivers of mm-hmm. of what's going on. Hey, the, just for reference, the, um, uh, the winner's share of the tour championship purse was 540k. The total purse was $3 million. Oh, okay. So 540k. Yeah, so the but top you could earn in a tournament. The total the total purse for the season was $54 million. Okay. That's my mistake, but it's still the eight world golf tour events would have a 600k going to the winner with a year-end bonus for the player of the year at a million dollars. So, I guess, you know, it's still a yeah. still guaranteed money and it's only those 30 guys. So, a quote I read, a, a, there's a good golf WRX article, and it quotes a uh, 1994 Washington Post article by Thomas Boswell that summed up the negative reaction from pretty much like the golf establishment. Quote, the WGT's four stars only format would strip bare the fields of established events such as the Kemper Open and detract from major events such as the U.S. Open. It's no accident the WGT plans events for weeks before the four majors. Potentially, the World Golf Tour, if it ever really comes into existence could throw golf into an ugly balkanized era of tennis like chaos think of the strikes in baseball and hockey then think of golf ripped by litigation and bad blood between rival groups of players think of the federal trade commission jumping all over the pga tour on restraint of trade issues thanks greg you're a real buddy <laughs> this End is quote. straight up fear-mongering <laughs> yes and so then back to the morning read article the from dave Seener. Um, quote, if that sounds like a PGA Tour press release, it's no coincidence. The Tour's messaging apparatus had held the upper hand, creating a narrative of order versus chaos and charity versus greed. Norman said, quote, I thought it was totally unnecessary to have the propaganda machine go at me the way they did. So the Tour never really kicks off because of these le- like threats of illegal battle, intimidation, even threats, even if those threats would be, um, would be empty. Uh, but Fincham kind of gets out in front of it. Where, where, uh, what I think really crushed this tour from happening was Norman thought he had players on board. Like he had, he in this press conference, he reads like a, a note from Jose Maria Olfabel that's like super supportive. He he says, "quote The support from players is overwhelming." But what happens is like Nick Price is number one in the world. He says, "quote He stands behind Norman, but with reservations." His rea- Listen, his, man, I'm just trying to grow yeah, the game out here. His reaction seemed fairly typical of players. <laughs> he has my total support as long as my position on the PGA Tour isn't challenged. Mm. Price said Norman was impulsive and wished that Norman had spoken to the PGA Tour commissioner before going public <laughs> with the World Tour plans. Yeah, I think that probably would have been a good idea. Um, and then Nick Faldo. So, so then a month later, there's an event in Jamaica, the Johnny Walker Invitational. It's kind of like a you know silly season, off-season event. Um, Faldo's like quoted, the Euro World Challenge. So at, at this event, th- this is the first time Norman actually gives the players any information. It's like two or three weeks later. Two or three weeks later, he just slips like uh, envelopes under the hotel doors of like, yo, here's this thing, sign it. Like, get, like let's, get, let's, you know, let's get this thing going. 
So Faldo's quoted as saying, what world tour? It's not going to happen. There's nothing concrete at all, and the proposals have not been um, thought out. Nothing makes sense. If Greg had got the support of the leading players before making an announcement, it would have made a bigger impact. But he never spoke to anybody, Faldo said. The first approach I've had was when something was shoved under my door this week, <laughs> which is so sick. And then there was some, like, in the in the press conference, he says, like, oh, you know, Jack Nicholas is reportedly signed up to play in the World Tour events under sponsor's exemption because he wasn't in the top 30 at the time. But he was saying, like, oh, I can get some of these other big names involved with the sponsor's exemptions. Um, but it seemed like behind closed doors, a lot of the international players were supportive in theory. But then it was like, yo, dude, like we're getting threatened, like yeah. to lose my tour card. Like they don't even, they, they just immediately are like, yo, I don't want anything to do with this. And then Norman didn't have any plan after his announcement of like how he, he was going to have the horses in the back. He, did, he <laughs> just, he didn't have it. Like he just, I guess was like, yeah, my buddies are in, so let's, let's ride. And it just didn't, didn't work. Um, well, it's it's interesting. Like the money isn't crazy high compared to PGA Tour money. But it, it is. It's guaranteed. It's guaranteed, yeah. and it's the top thirty. So he. But it's also. It's, it's not like today. Like that's what I'm saying. The big difference is like the the money that's exponentially. Being, yes, is being talked about as being like, how could you turn down this kind of money? Versus this is like, yeah, this is nice guaranteed money. I mean, it's you know, let's say you win. Let's say you play some of those. You have a great season. You win three of the eight. And you know, contend in the other ones, like you're probably making three, four, five million dollars when the leading guy on the tour is making plus another million dollar bonus. One point two or whatever. What is it, six hundred K for winning? Yeah. Six hundred three that puts you at one point eight. So like maybe you'd make close to two point five you're to probably three. Du- I mean you're doubling like the leading money winner on and the they tour get- plus plus it enhancing your and you're still playing those events because you're playing yeah. uh true. you know international. That's the well. thing, right? Like this is Theoretically, just bonus money for yeah. these guys. Like they they could still play under Greg's plan, which he didn't run by the PJ Tour. You could still play your fifteen PJ Tour events plus these eight on top of it. Greg. So he's, so and also the apparently the fifty k travel stipend was like a big deal too. Of like, yo, we're gonna help you. You know, you're not gonna spend any money getting to these world events. Yeah, um, that sounds. So nice. that Dave Senior article is it from 2019. So it's kind of a good look back, and there's a lot of good quotes from Norman. You know, looking back 20 years later on like you know, what he thinks of this whole situation. It's said, also interesting too, like this, this happened 94, you know, would have gone live 95, 96, right as the cats coming on the scene. Yes. And That's then what I was 97, Fincham just takes his idea and turns it into the WGCs. And Norman gets, Norman's really, really bitter about that. Cause Fincham and him met after this kind of falls apart in 95. Fincham's taking notes. So Fincham's, how would, how were you going to do no, it? Fincham says like, oh, listen, I'll keep you like, I'll keep you uh, like, would love to bring you in to help. We have some, some plans to do something similar. Like we'll keep you in the loop. Doesn't keep him in, in the loop <laughs> at all. Just totally slip, black slip under his door. Yeah. And then comes out and basically like has this copycat, you know, WGC, um, which was only four tor- tournaments instead of eight. But, you know, obviously it was same idea with the limited fields and the prize money. Except for they stink. Yeah, except they stink. But uh, hold on. So the PGA Tour, uh, Norman says this, quote. They always stink. The P- and this is, DJ, to your question earlier. Like, what was the goal? The P- Quote, the PGA Tour wasn't out there understanding what global golf was doing, Norman said. They were focused on growing domestic tournaments. I thought, wow, wouldn't it be cool if we could still play our 15 tournaments in America, required to maintain membership, still be obligated to the PGA Tour, and yet still be able to grow the game of mm. golf on a global basis. Which makes total sense to me. Yes. I fully agree. Everybody's trying to grow the game. It's just a matter of where we're growing the game, right? <laughs> 
Yeah. It, the game's not big in India yet. <laughs> and I think uh, Senior sums it up well at the end of his piece and says, quote, in the final analysis, Norman's chaotic brashness, forward thinking as it may have been, was no match for Fincham's political instincts and methodical consensus building. Conflicting event rules had become an, an anachronism. The PGA Tour purses have grown so large that there's no incentive to buck the system. Top players actually want to play less, not more, end quote. Hmm. I thought it was interesting in your notes too that that Jack was gonna, Jack was signed up to play in the World Tour events under a sponsor under sponsors exemption, which I don't know if if that that was kind of something like Norman dropped in there, but like I don't know if Jack. I think everybody kind of hit the like, yo, I'm not in with uh, the shark on this stuff. So the craziest part of, thank you, that was, that was tremendous. Brilliant. I I knew the the broad strokes, but I didn't know any of the specific details. That was awesome. What blows my mind about a lot of this stuff is the same thing that's blowing my mind now with the breakaway stuff, which is like, yeah, the tour keeps saying that. Like if you join another league, yeah. like you'll be banned for life. And more and more people, it seems like kind of keep saying like, yeah, we don't know if that's necessarily true or legal. Like we, we've but never that, challenged but that, that. But people are just like, yeah, I guess. Th- 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 all right. Good enough for me. I'm not like going to try first it. tool in the toolbox yes. and it's been working and, and that's nobody's yeah. pressed them on it. But what? that intimidation factor has been like their go to. All right, cool. Hit them with a cease and desist <laughs> and then we'll see what happens. <laughs> But that's what blows my mind about everything you just laid out here is like, well, wait, what if it's a true, what if they shot you in the face yeah, exactly. situation? Like, wait, what if they would have taken that to court? Like, could this whole thing have gotten off the ground? Or and then Tiger if- bursts on the steam and like, then he plays in all these world events, which could have completely reshaped everything. It's wild. And Tiger was the get out of jail free card for the, for the tour. Yeah. Right? But I, I, think think all, like I think all these players, because it says in a couple of these articles I read are they're independent contractors. So they all freak out when they're, the tour card is threatened. That's like the golden goose to them, right? Because even, even if you take away the tour card, it's just like they don't like uncertainty and yeah. they don't like variables and they it, they don't like anxiety, right? So you're creating anxiety. Even if well, you don't even, even take their tour card away, if you just threaten to or have some litigation built up or whatever, like they, they don't want that. Well, I think what's crazy about it is like it's not like they're – like these proposals are not bringing their life – from like a, a two out of 10 to a 10 out of 10. They're taking him from a nine out of 10 to a 10 out of 10. Yeah. Right. And that's where it's like, well, it's just not really worth the risk. Like, to, man, is this really like, yeah. yeah, I get it's better. And like, I probably do have some upside, but like nine out of 10 is pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And I, so I think it, the other get consistency I see throughout this is uh, bad communication. Yep. Like the shark, it just didn't, he just didn't talk to anybody. He just said like, oh, he just probably got like verbal agreements. Like, you know, in the locker room. Which, from, how do you think that has changed 20 years later? I know. It's or like t- it's, 30 years it's later. It's like the same almost. thing. Like, well, yo, if, if so-and-so's in, then I'm in. But make sure he's in first. And then I'll and then I'll say that I'm which, in. Someone's got to go first, though. Which, based on what you hear from, like, modern players about Greg Norman, like, I, I don't they get... all hate him. I don't get the feeling that he's, like, yucking it up when he's got a... I don't think he has the horses in the back here either, right? Yeah. Like, who knows? Who knows who signed up or who, what their backroom dealings are? It's, it seems like now the agents are a lot more involved than... I guess they were yeah. previously as well, but agents were the leaders in 83 though, that yeah. kind of held the hands of Nicholas and, and Palmer through the whole thing. I think the, uh, yeah, I think poor communication on the tour side too, along the way as well. Like, Hey, here's what we've got cooking. Here's, you know, it seems like they're trying to get better at that, but also like the tour is just such a naturally non-transparent organization. Well, right? It seems like every time the tour does get pressed, they do shape up pretty quick and improve some things. So, yeah. We're going to have this team series international yeah, uh, they react. guaranteed, which it's, basically shows you that like, Hey, they've, they're 
they're not like they like the status quo. They're not forward thinking. They don't want to keep things going. I think all of this would the biggest thing that seems like it's changed is just the evolution of media in the game to where like the like ways to cover it to where like the tour put all this emphasis on squeezing all the money out of it and and no emphasis on the actual product itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what got lost in the mix here. And then it, just the timing, every you know, Senior presses Norman on like, did you do this to challenge Fincham like early? And he denied. He's like, no, I wasn't trying to like test him. But it was. It turned out to be like a test that Fincham passes and then like, you know. Like consolidates yeah. power. Could, truly consolidates power. Now, now like, he's going in the Hall of Fame with Tiger Woods. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and just never looks back after he like, you know, brushes off this attempt at a world tour and just goes, you know, takes, rides Tiger, you know, just right clear through the finish line. The vote of no confidence did not did not pass, no. much like season one of Succession. It, 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 See, exactly. I can make a Succession joke. Hell yeah. Though. Almost he, through. He's watching the Prague episode. Next. Yeah. The Bachelor Party It'd be episode. great to get the body up there. <laughs> <laughs> Greg kind of reminds me of uh, of Cousin Greg. Oh, Greg, Greg Norman? Norman? <laughs> 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 huh? No, I don't think so. <laughs> he's just kind of aloof and doesn't really. Well, I don't want to give anything away for Sally. Yeah. He hasn't seen past the second half of season one but he's got some kendall vibes to me yeah yeah I, well i think i feel like jack has has the most kendall vibes <laughs> jack jack might be like connor i was gonna yeah. say <laughs> is it connor <laughs> all right well i think that's i a think pretty, that's a wrap that's this god was that's good stuff fantastic Overview. learning appreciate all the research done appreciate you listening this far We'll see. Maybe we'll do one of these on the 2022 breakaway. Who knows what's what's in the, we should, in the future? Uh, we'll, we'll attach to this tweet or the show notes or whatever some of our bibliography. As the well, links. I think there's some links. really really good nuggets in there that aren't aren't you know that are that are. If you want to dig deeper, there's plenty more gems in there. Absolutely. Cheers, boys. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's. Better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most.